feel like God's given me a message for you that's going to encourage you, um, but it's also going to help you in some areas of your life, maybe that you feel are stuck or are heading in the wrong direction. And so with that, I want to take a look at a passage of scripture. Um, probably uh, my favorite re post-resurrection story in the Bible. Uh, let me just set up the context for you as we turn together to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start with verse 13 and go to verse 33. And I hope that this passage, it's a little bit long, but I need, I need you to hear the story. You need to hear the story because I believe every time we read the Bible, we can find ourselves in the story. And I love this story because Jesus rises. in fact, earlier in this chapter, talks about Jesus' resurrection, that Mary and Martha, they go to the tomb early in the morning, they're gonna put out some flowers, pay memorial to Jesus, and they get there and the, and the stone is rolled open. And I love it, there's an angel just chilling, just hanging out on top of the stone. Like, and, he, and, he, and he speaks to them and he tells some things to them. And they're like, what are you looking for? He's not here, he's risen. And yet they're confused, they don't see Jesus. They actually think that somebody stole his body. And then uh, John and Peter come running. They're uh, having a race to see who could get to the tomb the fastest. And uh, by his own accord, John the beloved says, I got there first and a little, a little brother rivalry there. And uh, they get there and they don't see Jesus, but they're, they're confused. And they're wondering what's going on and they start doubting. Now think about it, their leader Jesus has left. The one they followed, the one they gave their life to. And now they're confused, some are disappointed, and that's where we pick up this story, where it says two of his disciples were not doing what Jesus said, which is he told them to stay in Jerusalem that I have a gift for you, that if you'll wait in Jerusalem for it, you're gonna need it, okay? I know you're confused, I know you're hurting, I know your head's spinning, you don't know which side is up right now, but if you'll just do what I tell you to do and obey my word and stay in Jerusalem, I've got a promise for you. And he promised them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and in that word, Holy Spirit, is the word paraclete in the original language. It simply means to come to one's aid. It means a helper. Because Jesus knew that they were gonna need some help. Anybody here this morning and you need some help? I need some help. I can't do this alone. And he knew that and he gave them this promise. And the promise came with power. He says that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're gonna receive power. And it's gonna be the power to turn your life around. And it's gonna be the power you need to walk in the purpose and destiny to which that I've called you and given you life. And so this is where we pick up the story and I'm gonna read it to you. The title of this passage is The Road to Emmaus. The Road to Emmaus. Now, the same day, the day that Jesus rose from the grave, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. I love this. They stop their journey and they stand still with their faces downcast. 
And one of them named Cleopas, the other one we don't know the name, they're an unknown person. But we know he had a traveling companion, old Cleo. Now, I would hate to grow up in elementary school with that name, Cleopas. But we're going to call him Cleo for short. And asked him, are you the one visiting Jerusalem? Are you the only one? I love this. They're going to tell Jesus about Jesus. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And I love Jesus. He always comes with a question back with a question. You notice that about him? He wants to make us think. He says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And here's the sentence that struck me in my spirit. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. In verse 25, he said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight, and they asked each other. One of my favorite lines in the Bible. Were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And here it is. Here's the turnaround. And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those assembled together. I want to talk to you on this Easter Sunday, 2023, about turnaround moments. Turnaround moments. We all have them. And actually, if you think about your life, and where you are right now, you could look back at the history of your life and every one of us, we can, we can pinpoint moments in our life that there was a shift, there was something that happened, there was something that, that happened in our life that turned our life around, good, bad, or ugly. We all have these turnaround moments. Uh, we have, there's turnaround moments all the time in life. In fact, I was thinking, I like sports, I'm kind of a sports guy. Um, I like watching football, baseball, basketball, pretty much any sport. I mean, golf gets a little bit old, you know. They start getting to, he's on the fourth hole. I, I start, I'm like, good God, give me, give me a nap, you know. But I like sports. And I remember I was thinking back to some of the greatest turnaround moments uh, in sports. I, I, I like to play golf, by the way, just not watch it as much. And I remember, I'm sorry, Seahawks fan, but 2015, Super Bowl 49, when the Super Se Seahawks were playing 
the New England Patriots. And I had a bunch of people in my basement. We were eating some good food, watching the Super Bowl, enjoying it. And in the final couple of minutes, it looked bad for the Seahawks. It looked like, you know, they were going to lose it. Wasn't going to happen. Then all of a sudden, little by little, they start driving down the field and hope starts building up. We're, and, and then they get down, literally down to like the four yard line with 25 seconds left. And we're thinking, this is it. We got it, man. We're winning the Super Bowl. And, and, and we think, you know, Russell's going to hike the ball. Sorry, Greg. He's a big time Seahawks fan. Russell Wilson's going to hike the ball and he's going to hand it to Marshawn, the beast Lynch, and he's just going to plow it in for a touchdown. And we're going to, we're going to cheer on the Super Bowl. And instead of handing it off to beast mode, they try to throw the ball. It gets intercepted. And in that moment, the whole game turns around and they lose it. Almost like 2004 when the Boston Red Sox, um, did I say sucks? I'm sorry. Boston Red Sox. I grew up in Yonkers, New York. I'm sorry. I'm a diehard New York fan. Yankees, Knicks, New York football giants. Woo, I got some New Yorkers in the house. Yes, welcome to Montana. Um, don't believe those people that, you know, wear the hats that say, you know, Montana's closed. It's open. All right, it's open. Some of you are giving me dirty looks already. But I remember 2004 when the New York Yankees were up on the Boston Red Sox, zero games to three, and all they had to do was win one more. And no one in the history of, of Major League Sports had ever in an American League Champion Series come back from an 0-3 deficit. Until then, when they won one game, and then they won the next, and then they won the next, and then they won the whole thing, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. It, uh, Super Bowl. They went on to win the World Series. It was their turnaround moment. And every one of us, we have them. I had mine when I was 19 years old. I was confused, living in darkness, had no purpose for my life. I was, I was clinging on to the things of the world. I had this gaping hole in my soul that I was trying to fill with anything I could grab a hold of. But nothing could fill it. And I was like, man, I remember after a night of party and two in the morning laying on my bed thinking there's got to be more to life than this. Until my aunt invited me to come to a church service just like this. And I thank God that I was sitting right where you are. And at the end of the service, just like I'm going to give you an invitation at the end of the service to turn your life around, I raised my hand and I went to the front and I surrendered my life to God and my life turned around and I've never been the same. And I believe that God isn't finished with us yet. And there's some of us, just like this couple, that God wants to turn our life around in some areas. I love Dr. Henry Cloud. Dr. Henry Cloud is a, is a Christian psychologist, and he says this quote. Listen to this. There are certain awakenings that people have in life that once they have them, they never go back to the old way of doing things. And when that happens, they're never the same. Never the same. And I think that there's moments like that. I think this is one of those moments for Cleo and the unknown companion that this moment turned their life around. I don't think they were ever the same again. I think that they finally saw Jesus and understood everything that he had to go through so that they could have life. It was the moment where they never looked back, I don't think, we don't know that for sure, but if I, had a, if I was a betting man, I would bet they never went back to Emmaus. 
They went to Jerusalem. They went back to the place of promise. They went back to the, the place of power. And because of it, they, they had a purpose in life. And I think for a lot of us, we can learn from this story. I, I've got a couple of things that I believe the Holy Spirit highlighted to me that will help us this morning to turn our stories around. If we're going to turn them around, I think there's a couple of turnarounds that we need to have. And the first one is this. We need to turn back to hope. Too many people are discouraged. Too many people post-pandemic. I mean, man, I don't know about you, but I can barely go on social media anymore seeing all the craziness that's happening in our world. People are confused about their identity, their sexuality. They're confused about science. They're conf confused politically. They're confused about who we are as a nation and where we're headed. People are, people are just trying, just like you, you're trying to just make ends meet and get by and survive. And, and for a lot of us, things happen in our life that confuse us. We, we don't understand why they happen. And, and when that happens, just like these, these two companions, they once had hope. And I think for a lot of us, even those who are followers of Jesus, there's things we can hope for and believe for, pray for. There's, there's words of God that he gave us. There's prophecies and there's things that we feel in our spirits that God promised us and told us, and yet we don't see them. Just like these two didn't see them. And if we're not careful, we could get into this place where we had hope, but not anymore. At one time that I, I had hope, and my life was kind of like this beautiful piece of pottery that I had hope and, and this is like my soul and, and my soul was full of hope for my future until one day something happened and I just just like that hope slips away if we're not careful our life we can feel like it's over my story's done. I'm finished. Pastor Lance, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what I did. You know, I think it's interesting that in our American culture, we're so quick to close the chapter. We're so quick, quick to give up hope. Think about it for a minute. These guys, it had been three days. Three days. Not three months. Not three years. Three days they lost hope. How quick are we to lose hope in things that God has told us to hold on to hope to? And, and we, we drop them like that pottery. And we say, it's finished, it's over. I'm going home. These disciples, they were going back to the place before they knew Jesus. Just like later on, Peter would say, I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to what's comfortable. I'm going back to what's familiar because I'm not seeing God right now. I don't see him move. I, I don't know if he's alive. I've got fears. I've got doubts. I've got despair. I'm disillusioned. And I've lost hope. You know, as I was, um, I was reading about pottery. It's not something I normally do. But <laughs> in Japanese pottery, there's a, a certain kind of pottery called kintsugi. And what it is, is unlike in our American culture, man, we're so quick to dismiss things. In fact, with our technology, it's like, I, we can't even have a phone for two years and we feel like, man, this thing's trash. 
I need the latest and greatest technology. We just, we just let it go. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm a saver. Like I hold on to things. Like even if, if my wife and I, we go out, you know, to dinner or to lunch or something, if I got fr five fries left, I'm, I'm getting a to-go box, y'all. Like I ain't leaving that. Like that's valuable stuff right there. You know what I'm talking about? I ain't leaving that, I'm taking it. You know, I've, if I got a tool and I've never used it, but it's in my garage and my wife wants to get rid of it. She's like, honey, you've never used this. I'm like, but you never know when I might. How many of you are with me, right? I have a hard time getting rid of things. I have a hard time like throwing things out. But for a lot of us, that's exactly what we do. We, we throw things away. We throw relationships away. We throw people away. We throw seasons away. And this, these two travelers who were once followers of Jesus, they close the door. They say, that, that chapter's over. And now we're trying to move on. But what I love about this Japanese pottery called kintsugi is that it goes along with the Japanese philosophy um, of what it's called wabi-sabi. Sounds a lot like, uh, you know, uh, what is it called? Wasabi, when you eat sushi. But there's this philosophy called wabi-sabi that thinks that something has actually more value when it's broken or when it has signs of wear and tear on it. How many of the older people say amen to that? It's maturity. It's that you've been through some things in life and you got some scars to show for it. And we want to move on from those things, but in the Japanese culture, they actually value the scars. They value the brokenness. And I was thinking, think about this for a minute. Jesus, this is his birthday. <laughs> this should be his birthday party. He resurrected from the grave. I don't know about you, but when it's my birthday, I'm like, where's my boys? It's time to celebrate. I'm popping something. I'm eating some cake. I'm putting a little party hat on, getting one of those things you put in your mouth, you know? I like guess my birthday. I'm ready to celebrate. I rose from the grave. I'm gonna go show myself to everybody in the city and I'm gonna let everybody know. But he doesn't do that. He actually goes to um, two people we've never even heard of, to a place that's actually insignificant. This place, Emmaus, my wife and I got blessed to be able to go to a trip to Israel. They don't even know where it is. It's that insignificant. And yet Jesus chose his very first thing to do to come up alongside these two that are broken and hurting. I love that the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ came near. Do you know in the, in the ESV version, it said that Jesus drew near to these two and started walking with them. It's a beautiful picture. Listen, if you're here and you're exploring this man named Jesus, you need to know something. That when you're hopeless, Jesus runs you down. That when you were broken, he was right there. You may not have seen him. You may not have recognized that he was there but you could see him in hindsight. You don't see it in the moment because sometimes we get so blinded by our hopelessness and despair that we don't recognize that God has been with me all the time. And I love that we're celebrating a God that took the time to run down two people who are unknown. That should give you hope this morning. Maybe some of you are here and you feel like, man, does God even see me? Does he know me? 
Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that he knows you by name, that he formed you and shaped you in your mother's womb, just like pottery. But then sin and the world breaks our hope. But he takes every piece and he starts putting it back together. In fact, Jesus would say this of himself. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Is anybody poor in spirit this morning? He says, he's, he's, he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. Do you know what that word for brokenhearted? It is, is uh, suntubi. It means to shatter into pieces. He's the God who comes alongside you when your faith is shattered, when your hope is shattered, when your heart is broken, when you're disillusioned, when you're doubting, and he picks up all the pieces and he starts putting them back together one by one. But we had hoped. What have you hoped for that you haven't seen God do? I hoped I'd be farther along in life than this. I hoped my marriage would be better than this. I hoped my career would have been different. My kids would have grew up different. I hoped, I hoped. But Jesus comes alongside them and he starts offering them hope. I love that he says to them, why, why, basically he comes up alongside them and says, why are you guys so sad? Why, why, are you, why don't you have hope? I wonder if the presence of God speaking through me right now would speak to some of your spirits. Why don't you have hope? It's time to turn your hope around. But look at how he does it. It's the second turn. He says, we need to turn to truth. What does Jesus do? It said he doesn't just come up alongside him and give him a little, come on guys, let's go. Why are, you, why are you not hoping? No, it says, I need to get your head straight. I need to turn around your thought life. I need to help you. And the only way that I can help you is I got to go back to the truth of God's word and I got to walk you through scripture. I got to remind you of the promises in scripture so that your head starts getting straight. How many of you know that when we get into a place of hopelessness and despair and disillusionment, we don't see straight. We don't think straight. I'm not thinking straight. I'm not seeing life the way I need to see it. I'm seeing it through a different lens. And he comes up alongside him and he says, how foolish are you? In other words, you're not thinking right. I love that how it says that when he first walked up to him, listen, Jesus wasn't just correcting them. It says that he listened to them. Do you know that God is just listening to your heart cry? He's listening to you talk. And the Bible says, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And when we don't believe in our heart, he says, you fool, you're not thinking right. He says, you're slow to believe. And this is where a lot of us go wrong in our faith. We think that faith is all about believing in our head the right thing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're trying to think through, why did this happen? What's going on? like we do when life hits us unexpectedly and, and something shatters in our life and we're trying to pick up the pieces and we're trying to make sense of life, but life will never make sense without the context of Jesus. He says, I am the way. 
the truth, and the life. And you're not going to understand life until you get back to the truth. I love Proverbs, the message. Listen to this. It says this. A lot of you know this scripture in Proverbs. It's, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But I love the way the message puts it. It says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it. Run, run to God. Run from evil and your body, listen to this, your body will glow with health and your very bones will vibrate with life. Come on, if that doesn't just speak to the resurrection life and power of God. Listen, my Bible says that the word of God is alive and it's active. It also says that your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. And I might've messed that up, but you get the point. The lamp, there's a fire in that lamp. Listen, one of the things that turned them around is as the scriptures were being open to them, as they started understanding it, listen, it's okay. As a pastor, let me tell you, it's okay if you don't get it all. Jesus doesn't expect you to get it all, but what he does expect you to do is walk with him one step at a time and listen to the scriptures unfold. And it says that after, he, after their eyes were open, they turned to each other and said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he walked with us and talked to us and opened the scriptures to us. Some of you, you're like, man, I haven't had a passion for Jesus in a long time. I lost, I lost that flame. I'm not burning inside. And let, my let me tell you, this is a beautiful picture of when you enter into a relationship with Jesus as he walks with you and as he talks with you that little by little, your heart starts to come alive. And resurrection life, because the word of God is alive, the resurrection life of the word of God, it says in the beginning, he was the word and he is the word. And every time you read the word of God, it's like you're reading and breathing in a little bit more of resurrection life and a fire is starting to get lit in your soul. Come on, it's time to get lit everybody in a good way. Steve Backlund, I love Steve Backlund says this, he's a pastor. He says, anything in your life that isn't alive with hope is under the influence of a lie. See, the problem with these guys wasn't that they didn't believe, but they put their hope in the wrong places. They misplaced their hope. And I believe this is our problem too, is we put our hope in things of this world. We put our hope in things that God never said to put our hope into. Look at when Mary and Martha went to the grave, the angel sitting on top. I love this. He says, why do you come looking for the living among the dead? He's alive. He is risen. He's not here. And I'll tell you something. We start to look for hope in places that are dead ends. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in looking at porn. There's no hope in, in, in just drowning yourself and escaping through TV, Netflix, social media, booze, pills, drugs, you name it. But let me tell you something. The truth of God, when it's illuminated in your life, it will start to bring life to every part of your life that's dead, that is without hope. Come on, our pastor once said this, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us and walked with us on the way? The last turn is this. They turned their eyes upon Jesus. Remember that? Remember that hymn back in the day? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Come on, sing it with me if you know it. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It says in verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. What's keeping you from recognizing God's presence in your life? Are we too distracted? Has the world got our attention? We got our face in a tablet, in a phone, in social media, on Netflix, you name it. I believe one of the greatest weapons of the enemy is he knows if he could just steal your attention. What has your attention has you. Your life goes where your attention goes. You ever notice that? And I love this. Check this out. This is so cool. It says that when he was at the table with them, they invited him. And by the way, I love that Jesus was going to walk on by. Just see you, fellas. No, Jesus out. And he was going to walk on by. It kind of reminds me of when the disciples were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of a storm, and they were tired and worn out from rowing at the, straining at the oars all night long. They were tired, cold, hungry, disillusioned, disappointed, were ready to give up, story's over. And then along comes Jesus walking across the water, but he doesn't come to the boat. It says that he was going to walk on by until they cried out for him. And I love that Jesus was going to keep on going in this story because his presence will warm us and draw us. But there comes a point where you need to invite him in. You need to say, God, I need you. It said they, they were urgently grabbed him and persuading him to come in. Actually, the original language is even stronger than that. It's like they, were, they forced him to come in with them. They were like, no. I need you. Don't leave. You got to come in. You got to hang out with us a little bit. This journey can't be over. And it says that when he sat at the table, listen, watch this. He took the bread. And when he took the bread, he broke it. He turned his hands around in the breaking. And it says when they saw it, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he disappeared immediately. But can I tell you something? One of the things that turns us around when you give your attention to Jesus is we remember his scars. See, I believe what snapped them out of not recognizing Jesus was when he turned his hands to break the bread, they saw the scars, the nail scars on his hands. And all of a sudden they remembered, oh my gosh, he's the one who took the nails so that I could be free. By his wounds, I'm healed, the Bible says. And they remembered, just like 
Let me tell you, if you're going to turn your life around, sometimes we get in such a funk. I think the greatest weapon that the enemy uses, I'll tell you, especially for pastors, is discouragement. There's so much to be discouraged by. But discouragement is like a blinder. It it skews my perspective. Instead of seeing what God is doing, all I can see is what God isn't doing. And I don't see God, even though he's right here with me and his presence is with me. And I know that because the truth, because I turn back to the truth of scripture and it reminds me that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And that one of the benefits of him rising out of the grave is that he said, I'm going to give you this gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's not only going to be with you, he's going to be in you. So I know God's presence is with me I shouldn't question that but I don't see him because I'm blinded by my own pain that's what discouragement does that's what hopelessness does it's like a filter over the eyes of our heart where I don't see God moving I don't know where he is and and instead of going towards him to the promise we turn away and we go back to what's familiar and what's comfortable. And when their eyes got open, look at what they did. Scripture says that immediately, even though they were tired from a seven mile journey and they didn't even get to eat their meal yet, something changed in them. It was their turnaround moment. It was the moment where they got up immediately and they headed back to the place of the promise. They got up immediately. They didn't wait. They didn't think about it. Their hearts were burning inside of them. And they said, man, it's time to go back. This is our turnaround moment. You know, um, a couple of years ago, as I was preaching and I'm trying to read the scripture, my wife, one, one day after church, she said, baby, I think you need to go to the eye doctor uh, because you're, you're reading some of the words right. And I'm, what do you mean I need to go to the eye doctor? It, it sucks getting old, doesn't it? I like to call it mature. I'm getting more mature. That sounds a lot better. Um, but I had to go to the eye doctor, and lo and behold, they had to give me a new prescription because I wasn't seeing right. And not only a new prescription, but they had to give me new, new lenses, a new frame. In fact, psychologists call this reframing. For most of us, because of the things that we experience in life and the lies that we believe over time about those experiences, about who God is and who we are, it can change our perspective and it becomes a, a, a biased cognitive perception. And all of us have them. You could call them blind spots, you could call them what you want, but what we don't see correctly, and they say in order to pull it out, we have to reframe how we see our circumstances. We have to reframe the way we see our life. We got to put on some new lenses. And the only way that we're going to see it is when we turn our eyes to Jesus. Because he will lead you into the truth. And my Bible says the truth will set you free. It's what turns us around. I got to, I got to, get, I got to get seeing things right. I got to have hope. And I got to have the truth in me. And I got to start fixing my eyes on Jesus. And when I do that, I start to turn around moment by moment, step by step. And their story can be your story, just like in this story you're about to see of a woman whose life was turned around by Jesus. Watch this.
I grew up in an abusive home. My dad was an alcoholic. I learned at a very early age that my sexuality could be used as a tool to manipulate men, so I used it. By the time I was 12, I was smoking pot. I was 13, I started drinking. By the time I was 12, 13, I was already sexually active, but it made me feel really, really dirty. So I started drinking more. The more I drank, the more I smoked, the more I smoked, the more I drank. By the time I was 18, I had already been married and divorced and had a child. When I was 33, I moved in with a guy that was 14 years younger than I am and had another baby. I got really, really, really drunk one night and came home. The guy I was living with decided that he was going to put my head through a window. And he woke up the baby and called his mom and they took off with my child and I never saw her again, which began the drinking very heavily. I started doing all different kinds of drugs. When I moved to Kansas City, and I had these two bottom front teeth that I could literally turn them around in my mouth. They were so loose and so infected. I went to the Kansas City Dental College, and they pulled the teeth and sent me home. In less than 12 hours, my tongue was starting to swell. I went upstairs and told Tammy and Steve, and they run me to the hospital. But this old ER doctor, before they released me, he had to sign off. And he come over and looked at me and said, uh, you send her home, she'll die. So they sent me upstairs and put me in a room, and for the next four days, we did high-dose antibiotics, and my tongue kept swelling and coming out of my mouth more and more. The end of four days, it was black, and it was laying on my chest. I was septic, is what I was. And a team of nine doctors come into my room. They wheeled me out down to surgery, and that's the last thing I remember. And people say all the time that they have these near-death experiences where they go to heaven and they see Jesus. I saw absolutely nothing. It says in the Bible to be absent from the Lord is to be in darkness. Well, that's true, because it was very dark and very quiet. The whole time I was in the hospital, the chaplain of the biker organization that we were a part of sat at my bed every morning before he went to work and every night when he got off work. I'd been in a coma for 11 days, but I'd been in the hospital for 14 days. At the end of the, the 11 days that I had been in a coma, the doctors came in and that pastor was sitting on the foot of my bed, like always. And they told him, she has no brainwave activity, she can't breathe on her own. For all intents and purposes, she's dead and we're gonna unplug her. And he stood up in between me and them and said, you're not gonna touch her because my God's not done with her yet. And they went to get a judge to get a court order to turn me off. While they were gone, God woke me up with Jay's voice and he said, get up, I need you. When they came back into the room to turn off my machine, I was sitting up. It blows my mind that a Jesus that I didn't even know about pulled me back from death because he had a plan and a purpose for my life. I went to a church service at that same pastor's church not quite a year later. At the end of the service, he come in front of me and he, he bent down and he goes, do you want to meet him now? And I just, I, I just started sobbing more and I said, I've tried everything else. Nothing else works, let's try him. And I was saved and it felt like a weight had been taken off of me. It was, I, I can't even explain it really, but I know my life has never been the same. Come on, can we give it up for Jesus? He's still turning death to life. I'm gonna close with this thought. In 2013, there was a young woman named Amy Blail. 
She struggled as a young lady most of her life. She was raped when she was young. Her father committed suicide. She struggled with depression and addiction and suicidal thoughts. With the help of God, she overcame that. And she decided, I want something to commemorate and remember. And so she put a semicolon tattoo on her inner wrist. And she started a nonprofit organization called the Project Semicolon. And she chose a semicolon as the symbol because a semicolon is used when the author could have chosen to end the sentence but chose not to. And I love that. I love the fact that in the sentence of your life, Jesus is the author. And the sentence is the rest of your life. I'm here to tell you, just like Jesus' story didn't end, your story's not over. I want you to see something. I want you to see this because it's beautiful. In verse 20 of the passage we just read, Luke 24, 20, watch this. It says, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him, not period, not end of story, but semicolon, indicating that the author of life said his story wasn't finished. Jesus wasn't dead, he's just sleeping. He's coming back to life. I'm alive and I'm alive forevermore. I am the resurrection and the life. And let me tell you, here's the moral of the story. Don't put a period where God puts a semicolon. Just like Jesus and just like these two unknown disciples. I'm here and God gave me this message to remind some of you, your story's not over because he lives, you can live. I want you to just close your eyes as we end our service today. I believe for some of you this, this day, you're here on purpose because this is your turnaround moment. This is the moment in your life where the Holy Spirit helps open your eyes to the fact that you need to turn your eyes towards Jesus and surrender your life to him. You see, when you give the author of life control of your life, he can rewrite your life and create a beautiful story. One that you could never create on your own, but it starts right here with the decision to surrender your life to him and to give him full editorial control. So I wanna ask you if you're here today, and this is the day that's your turnaround moment. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's now. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just say, Pastor Lance, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to turn my life around. God bless you. God bless you. Hands up. Want anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on over here in this section. This is your moment. God can turn your life around. This could be your turnaround moment. There's some of you that are here today and maybe you once had hope. You once believed in Jesus. You had a relationship with him, but you've been walking away from him. 
today is the day that you recognize, man, I, my life is not heading in the right direction. My life is heading away from God, not towards Him. Today I need to stop and I need to turn around and I need to head back to the promise, just like the prodigal son, it says that he came to himself. Do you know one of the beautiful things that Jesus said to Mary that turned her around, she was about to leave the garden and she heard Jesus say, Mary. And the Bible says that in that moment, she turned around and faced Jesus and said, Rabboni, meaning teacher, Jesus, that's you? You called my name? God's calling your name. He's calling you back home. Will you come home to him today? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Say, I've been running from God and I need to turn back to him today. I need to turn to him. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. Come on, you're coming back home to Jesus. God bless you in the back. God bless you. For the rest of us, I want to ask you a question. What area of your life isn't alive with hope? That you need the Holy Spirit to come into your story today and to turn things around. I want us to all pray this prayer together. Will you pray with me? Nice and loud, let's pray it together. Jesus, thank you for changing my story because you went to the cross and you took my place as me, for me. Today, I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and come into my life and make all things new. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender to you the rest of my life. Turn it around. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands together? The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices. When somebody comes into the kingdom of God, praise the Lord.